good just to let those sink in. Thank you, Shay. Thank you, ministry team. Hey, uh, a baby has come. Take heart. Love that. Take heart. Baby has come. Tell you, I just love this picture that's on the screen. Um, thousand words represented in a picture. Uh, yet we call it Christmas. Christmas. It's interesting because the word Christmas is not found in the Bible. Um, so what does the word actually mean? Well, there's two components to it. Christ. Uh, it's speaking about the Christ. Referring to an anointed one. It's, it's a person. It's, it's, it's a title. It's not a last name. It's a title of the Christ. Christmas, mess, comes from the Latin word misa, which means to send or to dismiss, dismissal. So really, the word Christmas is the sending of the anointed one. Uh, better than that, I really like this, is the dismissal of the anointed one from heaven to earth. So much to picture in that. The anointed one from heaven. Okay, time to be dismissed. Time to be dismissed from heaven to earth. Love that picture. Isn't that cool? The, the, the dismissal. When I was a young boy, there were times I was dismissed out of class. It wasn't so cool. But this one was. How special. How exciting, how cool. Those are kind of words we oftentimes use to describe Christmas. And, and yet, I, I just, I hope by the time we get finished together this morning, that you end up kind of going, you know what, those words, you know, special, cool, exciting. Uh, seriously, I hope they kind of come across feeling like that's just light. In fact, that's frankly, those are kind of lame words for those kinds of things. I'm going to bring in a different word that we generally don't ascribe to Christmas. And this is the word, it's radical. Radical. I like that word. It's radical. Now, can you say it with me? Ready? Here we go. Radical. Okay, you on your own. Okay, yeah. One more time and I roll it. One more time. And I want you to really say it. Yeah. Okay, ready? Here we go. Okay, now we're talking. I love that word. Listen. Christmas is radical. Christmas is not dusty old antique stuff. Okay? Christmas is not just about some made-up feel-good story. Well, you know, let's just kind of make this story fit so we can have family and, and hot chocolate. And I love all that stuff. Lights and cards. and I love that stuff. But is that what it's about? How about this? How about Radical. Christmas is just radical. It is. It's really about a radical gift made available from God. A radical gift made available from God. The dismissal of the anointed one from heaven to earth. Hey, I say all that, and I, I think most of you would agree with me, but yet there still is this reality. Let's just be straight up. There's still fuzzy, bunny, warm, and cuddly, oompa loompa, kind of in all of Christmas. And we have a hard time kind of getting out of it. So here's what I want to do. I want to help us get past warm and fuzzy 
uh, Oompa Loompa world. And I would like for us to uh, take a look for these next five Sundays on the radical reality that's behind Christmas. So here's what we're going to do. Five Sundays. Today is about Christmas radically prepared. I just want to tell you something. Uh, again, I hope we get through the end of our time today and you leave and you go and you're in your car in this afternoon, you're watching a football game or whatever you're doing this afternoon and just in your head, you're going, I'm telling you what, Christmas is so radical because God's hand has been in it all the way before the birth. And it just shakes us up. There's so many applications I could take out of today, but I'm just telling you, I'm kind of staying out of some application world and I'm just going right for your head. And I want today for God just to blow it away. And part of that includes with some math. Radically prepared. Next week, we're going to get a Christmas radically presented. <laughs> Time of Christ. Boy, it's just, everything's just like so radically presented. It's cool. Then after that, we're going to have the uh, Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas, Christmas radically powerful. And then the Sunday right after Christmas, Christmas is on a Saturday. We're going to be in here on Sunday. Very cool. Everybody's going to be wearing all their new fuzzy bunny things. But it's going to be about Christmas radically personal. Radically personal. And then uh, start the year out, we're going to do Christmas. Uh, the starting point of the radically pictured Revelation 5 lamb to come. Well, let's pray as we get going. God, I want to thank you for our time together this morning. In your word, we continue our worship. All of life is worship. This morning getting dressed, this morning coming over, all of life is about worship. And we continue a life of worship here. And we continue the joy of doing it together. Oh God, would you just grab our heads this morning and stretch it bigger to try and understand you? I just pray as we go through this in kind of a very different kind of a format that uh, you would use numbers to show yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. What chapter? Of what gospel? Luke chapter 2. Now, let me set some context here. We're going to take a look at one man, an older man, a gentleman that uh, got Christmas. He got Christmas. He understood the radical prepared portion of Christmas. The context of Luke chapter 2 is it's about 40 days after the birth of Christ. About how many days? About 40 days. And it was common at time, about 40 days after a child was born, that the parents would bring that child to the temple in Israel, in Jerusalem. And that's where we find Joseph and Mary are doing right now with baby Jesus. Let's pick up Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. So this is a godly guy. This is God's kind of a man. He was righteous and devout. And I love this next statement. We're not going to have time today, but waiting for the consolation of Israel. I just want to make this statement. The consolation of Israel means, in practical reality, Simeon understood the Old Testament. Simeon was a man of the Old Testament that had dug into it, worked it through, came to realize what God had been saying in the Old Testament, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We're not going to go into that beyond that, but this was a guy of the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Love that. 
Wouldn't that be cool? It's like God says, you know, this is the date and the time when Christ is returning. I'd like that, but we don't know that. But with Simeon, God and the Spirit of God had had revealed to him that, I, I like the way it's stated, that he would see the Lord's Christ. Notice he doesn't give a name. He gives, he would see the anointed one that would be dismissed from heaven to earth, before Simeon died, he would be able to see that one. Verse 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Mary, uh, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon uh, took him up in his arms and blessed God. Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph coming in in this... And especially in our day and age, this older guy comes over and grabs your baby. But he grabs the baby. And what does he say? Lord, now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. In other words, God, you said I was going to be able to see the anointed one dismissed from heaven before I died. I get to die now. This is a good thing. God has revealed him. He's jazzed about this. He says, for my eyes, look at this, for my eyes have seen your salvation, verse 31, that you have what? Prepared. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people. By the way, just for his note, look at verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. We're not going to get into that today. Simeon sees the anointed one. Somehow he knew this was the Lord's Christ. Picks him up and goes, yeah, yeah, praise God, this is the one. Two things he knew about this baby, or two reasons he knew that this was the one. One, the Holy Spirit had told him that he was going to know about uh, this. Verse 26, it tells us he had got a special revelation about this, but also verse 31, he understood God's preparing hand in this one. Folks, this is really important, and this is where we're going today. You see, Simeon came to understand from the Old Testament that God was sending one. And we see him holding it, totally getting it. Uh, just a question before we get going. Uh, why does he respond this way? Because he got it. By the way, in the temple, there's lots of other people. Why aren't they getting it? He got it. I just want to say this. I want to be someone. I would like for you to be someone that responds like Simeon this Christmas and not like everybody else around. Just doing their thing, going their way, doing some good stuff on the way, but not getting it. Listen, let's get it. And part of how we get it is by understanding God's hand in it before this whole event happened. So how did he get the preparing work? Or what was the preparing work that was done? I'd say it this two ways. Bunches of prophecies and bunches of years. Bunches of prophecies and bunches of years. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, that's like everything is the big deal about that. Uh, Let me start with this. Okay, think of yourself. That's a pretty easy thing to do, isn't it? Think of yourself. Now, before you were born, before you were conceived. What were some prophecies about you? Hmm. Well, here's maybe three ways some people might answer that. Well, one, they might just say, well, you know, after I was conceived, you know, people started making a guess as to whether I was going to be a boy or a girl. I remember Karen and I, when we had our kids, we didn't have all the fancy schmancy stuff. You know, we'd ride our horses to the hospital and things like that. 
and we would come, and, and they would just like, you know, do the pencil thing over the belly, or, you know, they would go, is it high, is it low, all this kind of stuff, and so they would make guesses as to whether, okay, so they would I'd predict that, or they might respond and say, well, you know, we predicted the date of the birth, or a third might be, someone might say, well, when I was a teenager, when I was getting a little bit older, people predicted what I would do for my career later in life. Okay, let me go back to the question. How many prophecies were about you, not predictions? See, predictions are like, I think. They can be very educated guesses, uh, but they're guesses. They're, I think. Prophecies are divine pieces of information told about someone before they were ever conceived, ever thought of by that person. Given in the past. So now, as I think about all the prophecies that have been given about me in my life, um, zero. How about you? What would be the universal symbol for you? Zero. Okay, well, that's a starting point. Now, I'd like for you to look at a page that shows, or a screen that shows how many prophecies are about Jesus Christ. Go. How many? Okay. I love the fact that you kind of go, whoa, wow. Oh, that's good. That's impressive. I just want to say this. Even the word impressive is so does not fit. Here, here's uh, this screen that you see screams radical. Okay. Now I can just tell you're not quite getting me here at this point. And that's all right. I know what's coming. I've, I've known what's, I'm working on getting there. So I'm setting you up to get simeonized okay so go to genesis chapter 3 genesis chapter 3 let's just start there and this is actually as you can see by the font up there this is actually the first one we're going to start working one by one through all of these this morning (laughs) (laughs) pizza's coming in a little bit okay here we go genesis chapter 3 Genesis 3. What's the setting of Genesis 3? Here we go. The setting is God's created the heavens and the earth. He's created all the animals and the bunnies and everything that's on the earth, the trees and Adam and Eve as well. He had looked back and he had looked at everything he created and said, this is very, very good. He gives Adam and Eve uh, their life callings, if you will. Uh, uh, they're uh, getting after their life callings to care for the earth and so on and so forth, to reproduce and so on and so forth. But then Adam and Eve disobey God. They sin. The one thing, the one parameter that God had put in place, don't go there for your own good. Don't go there. And they went there. They sinned. They disobeyed God. Uh, As a result, uh, God needs to talk to them. God needs to confront the situation. That's what we find here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Look at verse 14. The Lord God said to who? The serpent, to Satan. Look at verse 16. Then he says to who? The woman. Then look at verse 17. He speaks to who? Adam. Okay, so this is a, 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 a God to person, person to person discussion taking place. Let's just look at verse 14 and 15. Then God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat in all the days of your life. Verse 15 key. I will 
put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, uh oh, he, that's a male. He shall bruise your head. Who's your? Satan. He, the anointed one, really, shall bruise Satan's head, and Satan shall bruise the anointed's, and you shall bruise the anointed's heel. <laughs> You're probably going, like, what's all this heel head? Like, what's this bruising going? We're not going there today. That's not the purpose. Here's the one thing I want for you to understand out of this at this moment. God declared a solution. God declared a solution. We need to understand that God declared an ex- a solu- solution. And he, from the very beginning, he states that the solution is going to be an offspring of Eve. It's going to be a person uh, that this person will bruise Satan's head. Yet uh, this male, male's heel will be bruised by Satan. Again, we go, what does it mean? Uh, that's not the point. The point is this. God declared a solution. And God declared a solution in such a way that it shows he was not stumped. He was not confused. He was not caught off guard. It wasn't the kind of thing where all of a sudden God is like, oh, this is so good, Genesis chapter 1. And then Adam and Eve sin, and he goes, oh, 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 I never thought that would have happened. What do I do now? Or it could have been like, oh, I won't go there too long. He could have, ah, oh, he's like, oh no, kind of the rain man. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do now? What do I do now? They've messed everything up. Oh my. That's not God. That's not God. God in this whole thing from the very beginning looks at this and he's not caught off guard. He's just like, yep, understand. It's part of the whole redemptive plan of history. And here's the deal. I have a solution. And here's the thing. God declared the solution. Why is that a big deal? God was not bound. God was not mandated to communicate any solution to us. God could have been in the situation. Yeah, that's just what the redemptive plan is. I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to be quiet because I know that an offspring is coming, one dismissed from heaven to earth, the anointed one. I know that one's coming, and so we're just going to run through time, and I've got it all under control. I'm not buzzed, jerked about it, wondering about it, confused about it. Here's the thing. What God did for us is he declared right away he's got a solution for your problem. I would submit to you that that's radical. Because God wasn't bound to. Uh, Let me kind of go here. Uh, God's declaring work was from the beginning. Christmas is about a radical gift. And it's a radical gift that was prepared from the beginning. So when you and I, when we talk about Christmas, it's not like this idea, God's up here going, hmm, hmm, wow, figuring this out, having to adjust my plans, trying to, hmm. No, this is the kind of thing from the very beginning. God already had his view on the baby, the anointed one that would come. Never unnerved. Always in control. I think that's quite radical because I'll tell you, if I was God, I'd be freaking prepared from the beginning. Secondly, I want to say this, is prepared from through the millennia. Uh, this amazing, radical gift of God has been prepared through the millennia. 
Uh, God, again, was not bound to declare anything, but the manner in which he declared the anointed one's coming, God strategically did it over time. And he did it over time in the kind of way where he gave hundreds of details. Details given over the millennia, and yet again, he was not bound to tell us one single thing. In fact, let's go to our next chart. This is our 324 prophecies put on a timeline here to kind of get this millennia concept. Now, actually, all of them aren't on here. The font got so small that I just kind of gave up. But it gets the idea. In other words, this. All of God's giving of his preparing prophecies was not done at one time, and it was not done by one person or through one person. Some were given when one couple was on the earth. Some were given before Abraham. Some were given at Abraham. Some were given when the Israelites were living in Egypt as slaves. Some of his prophecies, preparing prophecies, were given while the Israelites were in the promised land. Some were given when David was king and Israel was at its pinnacle of its nationhood. Some when Israel had no king. Some when Israel had land. Some when Israel had no land. Daniel chapters 1 through 6. Israel was not on the map. And yet Daniel chapter 9 contains all kinds of prophecies about the coming anointed one. When there was no king, when there was no land, God gave some when there was a temple, God gave some when there was no temple, God gave some when there was the second temple. God gave someone, uh, Israel was a nation. God gave someone who was broken. God gave someone who was reunified together. The point is, over the millennial, details were given to man by many. God did not just declare a coming one in the beginning, but he expanded the details and he gave them out. He didn't give one. He didn't give two. He didn't give three. He didn't give 10. He didn't give 25. He didn't give 50. How many did God give? Now, I love people that think. And so one of the questions is like, why? Why give 324? I don't know what the, personally, I don't know what the big deal is about the number, but I do know this. The number of them is the big deal. Okay? Now, been prepared from the beginning it's been given through the millennia let's add a third one it was prepared to be without question what do i mean by that Uh, god's gift is so radical because it was prepared to be without question let me me go here Uh, maybe you're thinking um why didn't god just send them why did he give any again consider this Without any prophecies, how would we know who the Christ was? If we had no prophecies, no preparing prophecies of the Christ, how would we know who he is? Do you realize I didn't for purposes of time today, but I had gone through and taken a look at the number of people living on our planet today that call themselves the Messiah. You go back in time, there has always been in time people that have said they were the Messiah. How do you and I know who is the for real anointed one from heaven given to her? How do we know? One of the reasons, because God gave us a whole bunch of prophecies. 
But God actually gave these, I think, to help us. Not him. But to help us. To help us so that we would be without question. We would be without doubt. Listen, the baby Jesus and the whole Christmas thing, it's, is it for real? Or is this just a blind faith, hopeful, fuzzy, buzzy, th- bunny thinking thing? Listen, let's do some math. Let's start doing some math. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, bring in someone who really knows math because it's not me. We're going to go a Dr. Peter Stoner. Dr. Stoner lived from 1888 to 1980. Uh, Dr. Stoner was the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College until 1953. He then became the chairman of the Science Division at Westmont College from 1953 to 1957. He was the professor emeritus at both of these universities. He wrote a book called Science Speaks. Science Speaks. And within it contains a section that talks about what are the scientific slash mathematical probabilities of any kind of prophecy actually coming to be. And he refers back to the whole section on referring back to the prophecies of the Bible. And here's what he does. He went and he thought, you know what? What are the probabilities that a prophecy could actually come about? So he, put, he selected eight. How many did he select? Eight. Okay, he selected eight. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a quick look at the eight that he named. All right? Open your Bibles to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. All right, we're going to pick how many? Eight. Psalm 22. We're just going to quickly skim through these. I just want for you to see these are actually in the Bible. Psalm 22, verse 16. The first one in our chart that he kind of grabbed out. He could have picked any eight, but these are just the eight that he named. Here we go. Psalm 22, verse 16. It says, For the dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Now, this is speaking about the anointed one, the Lord's Christ that would come, the Messiah. What does he say about this? That whoever this is, his hands and his feet would be pierced. Prophecy number one. Let's go to prophecy number two, Psalm 41. Hang a right over a few pages. Psalm 41, verse 9. says here, even my close friends, speaking of the anointed one, the coming of the Christ. By the way, this is like hundreds and thousands of years before Christ came. Okay? Uh, uh, even my close friends in whom I trusted, who, ha- who ate my bread, has, has list. Let me start over. Even my close friends in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Uh, in here, he's going to be betrayed by a friend. Let's go to the next one, Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, a little further to the right in your Bible. Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, A voice cries, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is another prophecy about the Christ that would come. There was a messenger, a forerunner, preceding him. Okay? 
Uh, we know that in the scriptures. You can see up on the screen each of these in the scriptures in the New Testament that relates to them happening in the Bible. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, this is a fourth prophecy we're just pulling out here. Isaiah 53, a whole chapter is just magnificent about Christ and uh, uh, who, who the Christ would be and what he would be about. Verse 7, it says of the Christ, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened, his, so he opened not his mouth. What's it talking about here? One more prophecy is that the anointed one would be silent before his accusers. Let's go to the next one. Micah. Micah. Hang a right. Fish around. It's right past Obadiah. It's in the Old Testament towards the end. That area of your Bible that doesn't get much massaging by your fingers generally. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Actually, this is one of the verses that Nick had up on the screen earlier when we were singing. Micah 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. In other words, the anointed one is going to be born in Bethlehem. Let's go to the next one. Zechariah, a few pages over to the right. Zechariah, chapter 9. Verse 9, chapter 9, verse 9. I love hearing those pages turning. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. One more thing. The anointed one would be coming as a king, on a donkey. Let's go to the next one. Zechariah, two more. Zechariah chapter 11. This is the seventh prophecy. Verse 13. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as many wages as, how much was it? It was 30 pieces of silver. And he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, in the next verse, actually, Zechariah eleven thirteen. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver, threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. The money would be thrown to the potter in the house of the Lord. Eight prophecies. How many? Now, how many total prophecies do we, have I suggested, are in the scriptures? 324. Now, what's the probability Dr. Stoner took and said, what's the probability of, let's say, these eight coming true? Here we go. The answer is one in 10 to the 17th power. Okay. Hundreds, thousands. What's the next one? Millions. What's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next? <laughs> Big number. A big number. Let's put some perspective on this. Dr. Stoner took this and said, okay, let's put some perspective. Here we go. Uh, think silver dollars, okay? Just about that big, all right? Think a silver dollar. Uh, uh, take 10 to the 17th power of them and mark one of them. How many? One, mark one. Paint it red, paint it pink, paint it blue, whatever's your favorite color. Paint the one. Then 
start taking these coins and laying them across the state of Texas. State of Texas, 790 miles north to south, 773 miles east to west. Seven and one-third Indianas fit in the state of Texas. So start taking your silver dollars and start up in the top and start going across and walking, laying them, you know, edge to edge, coin to coin, lay them across. Cover the entire state of Texas with one layer of silver coins. Then go back and start again. Do another layer, cover the entire state. Then keep coming back and do another one and do another one and do another one and do another one until you have two feet deep of silver dollars. Two feet. Now, get in an airplane, a helicopter, uh, blindfold yourself, have someone else fly, blindfold yourself, go over the state anywhere you want to go, just right, left, you don't know where you're going, just go, and then jump, and then pop the parachute, and then come land, you're still blindfolded, and then while you're there, you can walk as much as you want, but then all of a sudden, just grab and grab maybe the top layer. You can go down three layers or 20 layers and grab one coin. The odds of picking the first coin or the marked coin on your first try is 10 to the 17th power. Does that kind of blow your head away? That's eight, proph eight, eight prophecies. Dr. Stoner said, okay, I'm curious here. Oh, by the way, is that radical? Uh, thank you. That's radical. But then he said, I'll tell you what, let, let's go 48 prophecies. No, we're not going to look at 48. But let's go to 48, and here's the number. It's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. It's the 157th power. And yes, for you who are into details, yes, there are 157 zeros there. I've counted them a couple times. There are 157 zeros there. That is a big number. In fact, that is such a big number that we still have really no ability to grasp it. But we're going to try here because this is about blowing our minds today. So instead of silver dollars, we've got to go smaller. We need to go to an electron. An electron. Remember back to class? At least you've heard the word. An electron. It's the negatively charged part of an atom. There's three parts of an atom. There's a proton, a neutron, and an electron. Now, the electron, how small is it? I'm glad you asked. It's one one-thousandth the size of a proton. We're inside an atom, and the electron is one one-thousandth the size of the proton. It's 1,800 times lighter than the proton. I'm, I weighed it. And, okay, now, now, so it's small. Do you get the idea? Say it with me. It's small. Now, it's so small, we have a hard time. So let's do this. If we took an electron and we, we, we blew it up to the size of an apple, so one apple was the size of an electron, and then we took that proportion and made it the proportion to a human, and we all the electrons in a human, a human by that proportion would be three and a half times the size of our solar system. I want that guy on my basketball team. Three and a half times the size of the solar system. Now, we're just trying to get the idea of how small an electron is. Now, it, it, let's think of it this way, another way. It, it, it takes 2.5 times 10 to the 15 electrons placed side by side. So if you got them and you're putting them all side by side, it takes that many to form a single file one inch long. Can you see the one inch? Can you see it on the screen? It's not really an inch on the screen, but it's the idea. Now, let me help us get this. 
if I wanted to count all the electrons in that one-inch line, and I counted 250 a minute, a minute, one, two, three, four, five, six, okay? If I counted day and night, 24-7, no bathroom breaks, can't eat, nothing, how long would it take for me to count the number of electrons in that line? It would take you 19 million years. That's a small, can you say small? Mm. Now that's not 10 to the 157th power. We're just getting started. And now if you took and you made that one inch line into a one inch square cube, and it was all filled side by side, kind of like we did with the coins of Texas, but these are electrons within the one square inch, counting 250 a minute, 24 seven, it would take you 6.9 times 10 to the 21st power years to count them all. That means it would be 19 million times 19 million times 19 million years to count them all in that one inch. Now, we're not to 10 to the 157th power yet. You get this. Take the one inch square. Sorry, this rattles me. Take the one inch square. Take that perspective. Now take all of the electrons, all of the electrons in the known universe. And we're approximately at 10 to the 157th power. So that means all of the electrons in the known universe, that one little inch took 19 million times 19 million times 19 million years to count. We're talking the whole universe, known universe. And if you took one electron and you took your Sharpie, <laughs> very point, fine line one, and marked one and threw it out there in the known universe, then you got on a rocket ship, you took off, and you could go anywhere you wanted blindfolded. And at any random time, you were out there and all of a sudden you reach out the window. I know you need oxygen. Everything's cool. Okay, you reach out and you grab an electron, and on your first try, the electron you pick is the marked one. The odds of you doing that on your try is the odds of 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Are you, is your head kind of like, you know what, I can't quite grasp this? Oh, by the way, how many prophecies is that? Andrea, bring up the next one. That's 48 out of how many? Okay, what are the odds now of 324? Um, <laughs> impossible. Outside of God's handling. Isn't that cool? What's so cool about it? The baby? <laughs> Impossible for any baby ever to have been born, for any person ever to have been born on this planet and fulfilled all of them, let alone 48 of them. Jesus Christ did. When you read through the Gospels and you see Christ talk about how in fulfillment of the Scriptures, 
Now you know why that's so important. You see, God gave us all of these prophecies for the purpose, Andrea, let's go to the next one, for the purpose of being able to understand this. You see, we look at this too often, and I do too, and just go fuzzy bunny, warm and cuddly, hot chocolate, give me a Christmas tree and a present, and Santa. Simeon, he got it. He got it. Let me read for you again. Lord, now you are letting your servant... Depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared from the beginning. Why did Simeon get it? Because he knew what the Old Testament, God's gracious revealing, preparing prophecies, not because he had to, but for our benefit, that we would be able to look and go, Bam! That's God. That is the anointed one. The, not a, the anointed one dismissed from heaven to earth. Christmas is totally different. I want to tell you, that's why this is a radical, radical gift. Prepared from the beginning communicated through the millennia, all for the reason so that when you and I, and there are times when you and I go, is this about blind faith? Is this just kind of a story that kind of got blown out of proportion? Do the math. Do the math. Be convinced. Know for sure. God wanted you to know for sure that this baby at Christmas is the Christ dismissed from heaven to earth for you and I. Blind faith? Ah, bah, humbug. Cute, nice story? humbug. God in the flesh? Yeah. Simeon on it. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much just for the fact of the facts. God, I'm so grateful for you declaring your solution to our problems. And I'm so grateful you just did not declare and then stop. But you declared and then you gave further details about the coming of the anointed one. And then you gave more and you gave more and you gave more. And we're blessed at a position in history to where we are that we can look back and and look at information like this and, and literally be logical about it, not just fuzzy bunny about it, but logical about it and go, my goodness, your hand is all over this baby. Christmas is radical. 
God, I pray this morning, if there's someone who has been kind of thinking like, you know what, this whole Christmas story, it's kind of, it's just blown out of proportion. I pray that these numbers for that really are numbers based off of your scripture of the prophecies contained in scripture would help them to understand, no, this is for real. God, I pray for those who are in need of a savior and have been wondering, should I? I pray that this would push them over the edge and that they would come to know the radical gift for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever places their life faith in him would be redeemed. Whoever repents would be joined back. Oh God, I pray for those of us who have made that decision in our life that this would be just, if you will, a confidence in you builder. Oh, may this Christmas be more than special. May we as parents, may we as friends of each other, may we as spouses, may we as just as a church help each other to see Christmas around. In the name of the radical, radical one that was prepared, we pray.